a Superman action figure in a toy coffin, a blue shirt and red jacket, a first flight in the sun above the Arctic tundra. These are some of the moments that define my Superman fandom. Together on this podcast, we journey across time and media to examine, discover, and reconsider the creative visions that have shaped the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is part three of eight of Crisis Till Death. And this episode, joining me to discuss the 1988 Ruby Spears Superman cartoon as returning guest, Jeremy Frutkin. Welcome. Anthony, pleasure to be here as always, my friend. And uh, the way you and I have been talking about the 80s, I'm thinking I should bring them all back. It's becoming a, a theme with you and I. <laughs> well, let's just wait until we get to the death and return of Superman. Although it wasn't really wasn't meant to be a mullet, but I know that's how a lot of people tend tend to to kind of look at it as. But uh, but yeah, just give it a few more episodes and you'll be good to go. <laughs> maybe, maybe my hair will uh, will match uh, the style by then. We'll see. There you go. I just I just heard my wife get mad from downstairs all the way downstairs when I said that. <laughs> so, you know, the audience might recall that I did an episode, a mini episode on the Ruby Spears Superman cartoon months and months ago with uh, Rich Roney. And we just did about a half hour. And I'll summarize that episode in about one sentence here. Basically, it came down to Rich and I were just shocked that this cartoon existed and we had never we had never known about it uh, prior to to doing that episode. We had both come across it in in an article that was like counting down the some of the best Superman adaptations. And he and I, you know, each separately kind of had a moment where we're like, wait a minute, <laughs> what's that? So before we even get any further in this conversation, uh, and I know the answer, but for our audience, um, wh when did you learn about this, uh, the existence of this cartoon, Jeremy? Well, I'm glad you asked, Anthony. It was a very formative moment in my life. It was when you asked me about doing this episode and you said, hey, I only recently found out that this show existed. And I responded, I just found out now when you told me. So here I am. And uh, again, because of you, I got to examine and learn and experience something new. So that alone, uh, win, lose, or draw is worth the price of admission to me. But yeah, I would really be shocked if a lot of our listeners had heard of the show before that first conversation that you had. Yeah, I mean, that that's an interesting question. I, I'll say this, you know, once I put out that uh, that mini episode months ago, um, on YouTube in particular, and funny enough, this was, I won't lie, this was one of the reasons why I always wanted to revisit it. It was of the video podcasts. Most of my audience consumes the audio editions, but I do put out video versions on YouTube. And far and away, the most watched video podcast was the one on the Ruby Spears cartoon. So I was like, oh, there seems to be a bit Interesting. of an interest in this. And there were a bunch of, and this was, honestly, this was a really cool aspect of doing that episode was a bunch of people commented and you know, look, it would have been real easy for them to be like, hey, dumbass, didn't you know, you know, why didn't you know about this cartoon? But it, right. it couldn't have been couldn't have been further from that. Everyone was really nice. And there were a bunch of people who were like, yeah, like, I, you know, I remember watching this as a kid. And like, I, I tell people about it. And they're like, what are you talking about? So, you know, there That's are amazing. Yeah. So like, there are people who who definitely have the memory of growing up watching it. And now it is available on DVD and on the streaming, uh, the ad supported streaming site Tubi. They're not one of our sponsors. Yes. But just to let you know where we yes. can watch it yet yet well we'll see yeah we'll see how this see how many youtube views this racks up maybe we'll get them uh, for the next episode share and subscribe people you know the deal there you go 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like there definitely are people, um, out there who remember it. And a lot of people, you know, wrote in the comment section of that. And, and that was really cool. And when I did that mini episode, I had only watched, I think three episodes, three out of the 13. And so kind of in the back of my mind, I was always like, well, I'll, I'll go back to it and I'll do a true deep dive and I'll watch all the episodes. And it ended up fitting really perfectly here um, in the midst of this this eight-part event that I'm doing, where we're examining the period of time following Crisis on Infinite Earths up to and including the death and return of Superman. And, you know, we just spent two episodes talking about the Byrne era of the comics. We talked about Byrne's work on uh, Superman and action, as well as um, Marv Wolfman and Jerry Ordway, and later Byrne himself on Adventures of Superman. So that was the past two episodes. Um, and, like, right after that, like, I think right around the time that Burns comics run ended, we had this cartoon. And when you talk mm-hmm. about, um, you know, other media adaptations of Superman in this crisis till death period, there's not a ton. You know, there's Superman for the quest for peace, uh, which came out in, in, in 87. But that was, you know, the unfortunate conclusion to a movie series that began, you know, much earlier. And you also had the Superboy TV series, which um, I have not forgotten about, but that deserves its own discussion, and that will come probably next year. Um, but there, too, you know, that was, you know, a show about Superboy, an aspect of the character that post-crisis no longer existed. So that's a little bit of right. an outlier. So, and then Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, would come in 93, which is after the period of time that we're talking about here. I felt, I felt a shudder when, uh, when you said that. <laughs> and, uh, well, we'll we're, we're going to talk about Lois and Clark on the show down the line. It's all good. And, um, but so within this period of time... Uh, you know, this Ruby Spears cartoon, again, was not the only adaptation, but was definitely an interesting one uh, for reasons that we'll discuss. And it felt like it warranted uh, a full episode. And so that's why I ended up doing this episode and why we're doing it here and now. One of the things, aside from how much I enjoy being a guest on this show and talking to you, one of the main things that appealed to me about this so much is if you look at our respective ages and when this show came out, it is very possible that you and I could have been kids bopping around the house and this could have been on TV. And I thought that was actually a pretty cool way. And that's kind of how I went to approaching this whole assignment, uh, if you will, to do all this. You know, part of me almost as a gag wanted to have a bowl of cereal here waiting and we could just kind of, uh, you know, do Saturday morning cartoons. But the ASMR folks might have liked that if I was eating cereal, but I'll spare everybody else that. We just have some, some uh, you know, adult, adult treats instead. My point being, my point being, it would be very, very easy for me to look at this show in 2021 and be like, oh, this is a silly 80s show. And, you know, it's just they're so out of touch and there's nothing to to kind of get from this whole thing. Now, I always like you, I try to find the positive in everything that I do and that we do here. I think the show is so interesting because there is a lot of it that I found laborious to be perfectly honest with you, but there was some stuff that they did that I did find interesting and I did find worthwhile. And had it not been for you, I wouldn't have had that experience. So thank you for that. And also I'd like to throw out, we did mention that the majority, all but I think two or three episodes are on Tubi. Tubi is completely free of charge. So even if you want to hit pause right now and watch an episode or two, they're pretty quick. And it's just such an easy access point to join our conversation here as well, which I think is always worth mentioning. Price of admission is zero. It costs nothing to download and watch Tubi and you can see exactly what it is we're talking about. 
Yeah, well said. And uh, yeah, for anyone who, I mean, I'll say this because I, I think you and I are, are pretty similarly aligned in terms of how we felt about this cartoon. Uh, you know, as a lifelong Superman fan, I'm very, I'm happy that I've closed that little gap in my fandom and that I've watched all of the episodes. And there, there's a lot about it that is, that is pretty cool. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, and we talked about this off mic, you know, to be watching it, you know, in our mid thirties in, in 2021, you know, for the first time without having the personal attachment to a memory of watching it as a kid. That's right. You know, I was not on the edge of my seat watching this and, and I, you know, I won't lie. There were, there were certain points where it became a little bit of, of a slog, but overall, uh, again, it definitely, it was a worthwhile exercise. And I will say if, you know, if you're a Superman fan listening to or watching this podcast, and I assume you are, unless you just like hearing me talk, which I appreciate, but chances are you like Superman. And if you've never watched this cartoon, at least watch an episode. I mean, true. I mean, I think just, again, especially if you're not familiar with it, if you didn't know it existed like us, I mean, it, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, it, it, it deserves its place in the in the Superman canon. It, it earned at least that much. Yeah, I agree. And it cost zero dollars and zero cents on Tubi to come along with us on on Tubi to come along with this journey, which I think is cool. But I mean, I agree. You hit you hit the nail on the head. It's an interesting piece, and obviously not completely forgotten, but sometimes perhaps overlooked is maybe the better word. Piece of Superman's history. That is a perfect word, and I think that's why. Because you know when I first discover this i was like what how did i miss this and i right, but I, I think right. overlooked is the right word because it's like for all that i've read about superman and you know there've been various documentaries and things like that I, I mean i i can't think of any instances where i've come across that because i feel like i would have clocked it and i would have been like oh let me look into that um it, like i said it is available on dvd and that was how i watched it i did track down the dvd um i i don't i don't think it's out of print um I think I got it on Amazon. Uh, it's all 13 episodes are there. Um, there's one special feature about greed and the rise of this version of Lex Luthor, but it's so tangentially related to the, to the actual character of Lex. It's really more about societal changes in the eighties into the night. It was, it was, oh boy. it was kind of odd. <laughs> I don't know how that ended up on the DVD to be perfectly honest. Like the connection to the comics it was so tenuous, but look, you can get all the episodes on the DVD if, if you want to have it on your shelf, as I do on, on mine. But, uh, you know, so the animated series that we're talking about is the 1988 uh, Ruby Spears Superman show, just simply called Superman. And it aired only 13 episodes from, uh, on, and this was on Saturday mornings on CBS, uh, from September 17th, 1988 to December 10th, 1988. So September to December, 1988, 13 episodes. That's it. Blink of an eye. Blink of an eye. So, I mean, yeah, you and yeah. I were, were really, really little kids. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's possible that we, you know, stumbled across an episode at some point. I, I certainly have no memory of it if, if I did. I mean, Same. I was one, so <laughs> no idea. I, I think I would have been three. So, yeah, I, I, I still have no memory of it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it's, uh, again, it's, it's a part of the, the Superman canon and, well, I guess before we talk about the show, you know, specifically, uh, again, Saturday morning cartoons or uh, weekday afternoon cartoons, I know that's a big thing for a lot of people. It was for me. What, what were your go-tos? If it, I mean, Clearly, it wasn't this show, but like, what were, what were the go-tos? 
You are you already know what my answer is going to be, and I love you for that because I was such a huge fan of Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, leading into Justice League, and then Justice League Unlimited. Those are among I'd say those and X Men the Animated Series are probably my favorite comic book adaptations and animation of all time. Um, and as much as I love the X Men animated series, just the lineage that went on for over a decade, from you know uh, starting with Batman the animated series to Justice League Unlimited is just it, it's that storytelling that you can only really get from television, which I appreciate, where they were just telling a story years and years and years. And it's easy for people who maybe aren't into animation to look at it and be like, oh, that's a kid's show. But they were growing and evolving these characters for us over years as kind of we were getting older too, which is what I think a lot of the comic books I like. And people have heard me talk about my, my epiphany last time I spoke with you about how much I love um, – the Titans, apparently, because I like seeing that character growth. And that's kind of the same way I feel about this. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would find it very hard to believe that listeners of this show haven't at least seen some of what I just mentioned. But if you haven't, please, by all means, go and uh, go and seek them out, by, by all means. They're such a formative part of me growing up, my childhood, and even into early, early adulthood. I was still watching Justice League Unlimited when I was in college, I believe. So that was, um, and I've watched it since, even still, that's a series I'll always go back to. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, it's been a little while since I've gone back to the to the Bruce Tim cartoons, although not too long, because when you and I did our look at the post-crisis Superman origins, um, I did rewatch the, the first um, three episodes of Superman, the animated series, and they, yep. held, they held up great, and... Yes, I do have that attachment to watching them as a kid, like yourself. I mean, I watched those when they originally aired. Um, but I, I feel like they, even if I didn't have that, I think I, they would still resonate with me. And I, I think those those shows really work well, whether you're a kid watching it like we were when we first did, or you know, you're watching it you know, as an adult, either for the first time or revisiting it. I think it works on a lot of levels in a way that most other shows don't. Um, Absolutely. So, so those Animation are, yeah. or not animation or not but you know very very mm -hmm. true um it's funny though, i was even thinking of stuff earlier than that like i always felt like i missed the i was born in 87 i always felt like i missed the boat on um like gi joe and transformers me too because yeah because like i remember guys i was born 85 but yeah same because i remember guys at the comic shop that i that i worked at who were like just a few years older than me well, not that much but like a few years older and um you know they they had really been into that and it i it was just not a thing for me yeah, growing up, really, um, because if you think about like when I was like at a formative age, I was five in 1990. For me, it was really Batman, Superman, X-Men, and Spider-Man. Yeah. And that was like the predominant, you know, between the, the comic books, the toys, um, which is funny because I have an interesting segue about toys and this show that I have a question that I don't know if I'll ever get the answer to, but uh, a little bit of foreshadowing there. But yes, yeah, so, so for me, I, I missed the boat on all those too. And it's so funny what a difference just a few years can make in kind of like the cultural zeitgeist of everything. Yeah, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. So again, like you, I, I watched all the Bruce Tim cartoons, but that was a little, I mean, you know, that was, I was in, you know, grade school and then in, into high school, even with Justice League Unlimited and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, as a, as a kid, I definitely remember, you know, Darkwing Duck and like that, that, that sort of stuff. Oh, let's get dangerous. Let's get, exactly. And mm -hmm. in looking up Ruby Spears, I saw that they did the, the Mega Man series, which I was, <laughs> and that man that brought, when I read that, I was Super like, fighting oh. robot, Mega Man. <laughs> I was real, I was into, you know, and I'm not, I know you, I know you're a gamer. I'm not, 
now. Oh, yeah. But as a kid, I mean, I had the Super Nintendo was like the, my, I guess my favorite. And then I had PlayStation and PlayStation 2. But like Super Nintendo was when Super, I was at the height Super of my Nintendo gaming. Is, Super Nintendo is my pick for the overall greatest system of all time. So you're right. You're right on the money. Right on. And I remember I make Mega Man X and the subsequent games. Like I was really into that. And I watched yep. the, I watched the animated series. So while I yeah. did watch Ruby Spears and their Superman work, I did watch Mega Man. Oh yeah, I did. I did too with Doctor Light and uh, Rush, the robotic dog, and it was good stuff, fun stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, Mega Man was great. Uh, and then, honestly, though, for me, in in the early early part of my childhood, the, my favorite cartoon was a live action cartoon, Power Rangers. Were you were you into Power Rangers? Yeah, no, I would be, and I feel like I, I've I've used this line already, but I I would be hard pressed <laughs> to find anybody our age who didn't love Power Rangers as a kid. And if they're telling you otherwise, they're probably lying. Because let me tell you, when it was time to go out and like first, second, third grade out to the playground, you better believe we were all playing Power Rangers. And that was it. Right on. I rem- I remember this. I switched schools. I switched elementary schools between first and second grade. And I remember <laughs> the summer before second, second grade going to look at the new school with my parents. And the principal was showing us around. And I remember asking about what time school ended because I needed to get home in time to watch Power Rangers. That's that's amazing. That's like a soundbite for a documentary if I've ever heard one. That's just – and you're not alone in, in that thought too. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean I was – you know, again, we're talking here now the early 90s. I mean and I was – not like oh i was so high tech but i mean i was a little kid with a vcr i mean i was i was taping stuff all the you know especially power rangers i was not gonna miss do you that. remember do you remember how hard it was to get those toys on christmas yes and like the shortage and like every all the i'm assuming all of our parents were like scrambling around and trying to find stuff it was again such a phenomenon that how probably to your point people a few years older than us were with G.I. Joe and maybe even something like uh, He-Man or Thundercats, yeah. kind of like in that era, which I also missed the bonus too, is kind of how we were with Power Rangers. I mean, listen, I had, you know, the Green Rangers little dagger that you could like play like a flute and like make noises out of. And it was just the coolest thing ever, you know? It was, it was the, I've, I think I've told this story on a different podcast, but I remember at one point, because you know, they used to do those sweepstakes, like you could win like a whole set of toys. Yep. And I remember once just I don't know what filled me with this confidence, but I was convinced that I was going to win to the point where I think like my, my, my mom was like, Oh, like we can go get a toy. And I was like, no, like I'm going to win the sweepstakes. I don't know what, what made me think that and I, I didn't win, but uh, boy, that would have been I was great. Say, I sure you, love those you manifested it and you won. I was like, listen, Anthony, when we're done here, we're going to go get a lotto <laughs> ticket and you're just going to tell me which numbers to pick and we're going to will it into existence and we're going to be set. It's going to be great. That would be, yeah, that would be amazing. So who, uh, who is your favorite power ranger? I'm going to guess red ranger. No, I mean, I, I did, I did quite like Jason, but uh, I mean, I'll be kind of cliche, but not Tommy. Tommy was my favorite. I think he's most people's favorite. Because Tommy was the coolest. Do you like him better as Green Ranger or White Ranger? Oh, that's a good question. I I would actually probably say White, to be honest, which I know that might be a little, yeah. I mean, when he came back, it was just the coolest ever. He had the whole new outfit. And suddenly I realized after the past few minutes, we turned this into a Power Rangers podcast. (laughs) It's, you know what? But boy, nostalgia, huh? 
it well i am i think it's it make it's fitting that we had that conversation because um you know again we we didn't have that experience with the ruby spears cartoon but there right. might be people listening to this who did. And so I think they would identify with, with what we're talking about. And sure. the feeling and sentiment is the same. Exactly. And so, uh, I'm, so that's why, you know, I'm happy to shine a light on this cartoon. And I've now watched, cause again, I have the DVD. I've watched all 13 episodes. I know you've watched the 11 that Tubi has. I couldn't tell you why they're that's missing correct. the two that they are, but whatever. I still have not found an answer. I was convinced I was going to find some interesting conspiracy about what happened, but I have not been able to find an answer. If anybody listening, Please drop us a line and let us know why these two episodes aren't on Tubi because I would I would I'm legitimately curious to know. So kind of on the note of the behind the scenes and the production, let me say this: it was kind of hard to really even find anything about the show. There's not a ton of information out there. So, uh, I mean, you know, we again we know you know when it aired and all that, and it, it aired you know 1988 was the 50th anniversary of Superman's debut in 1938, so th- it was a big deal in in that sense, and it only ran 13 episodes. Now, I've heard conflicting things. I don't have a definitive answer on this. I was hoping to be able to deliver to the audience a definitive answer, and unfortunately, I don't have one. So the best I can do is present what I've heard, and you know, you can kind of draw your own conclusions. So. Some of the articles, and again, there's not a ton, but I found a few articles and there's a Wikipedia page and, and some of the articles had people commenting and, you know, one school of thought, the, the prevailing school of thought uh, seems to be that the show was canceled as a result of um, a high licensing fee that DC charged and or, and or low ratings. And the low ratings are attributed to um, the, the time that the show aired. Apparently it was like 8.30 a.m. Eastern, which is on the earlier side. And it was, and it was apparently also up against, that's enough for us with kids. It's like, that doesn't seem so early, but you know, (laughs) we're, we're on that young, young child (laughs) schedule. Like we're, we're beating the sun left, right and center over here. Um, but, but back in, but you know, at the time, I guess that was, that was on the earlier side and it was also up against Winnie the Pooh, which I suppose was a bit Uh, of a, of a ratings fluffy juggernaut. Yeah. There you go. So, so that was kind of the main, um, I guess the the main information that I gathered that it was canceled as a result of low ratings due to the the time and its competition, and there was also the matter of this licensing fee. However, very interestingly, going back to the comments on that the YouTube video for my prior podcast, someone commented and said that the show didn't fail; rather, it was only ever intended to be thirteen episodes. And this person shared a little bit of background and said that CBS had gone to um, DC and wanted to do a Superman cartoon as far back as 1985, so a few years earlier. And DC was resistant because this was right around the time of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and, and they knew that their continuity was going to be shifting, and they didn't want to kind of have a version of the character out there that was no longer going to be relevant or applicable. Mm-hmm. So they kind of mm-hmm. like pushed back on it. And eventually, I guess within those few years, the agreement they came to was okay. 13 episodes and only 13 episodes and it will sort of incorporate various aspects of the 50 years of Superman's history and we'll talk more about that because I think that is the most fascinating aspect of the cartoon is how it weaves different elements together so I want to circle back to that um, so yep. that so that YouTuber shared that bit um, I, I did respond and I said do you, you know do you, do you I, <laughs> nicely I was like but do you have a source or did you work on the show because they spoke about it with such authority that I thought that might even be possible, but um, I, I didn't get a response, so I don't know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable enough to say, hey, this is the fact of the matter. I don't know, but 
these are a couple of possibilities. So it might have been canceled or it might have been that it was only meant to be 13. And I think you have you have a, a theory or a take on that. I do. And I also love that you just described the internet as a whole, kind of, with, with, <laughs> with, with that whole story, which I think is just perfect, especially in today's uh, today's age. But yeah, so you and I had had spoke already and I kind of got the... I kind of got the theory that going that it really seems like that either it was intended. And again, I don't know anything either ostensibly. I'm just speculating, but it really does seem like it was either intended to just be these episodes or at some point early on, maybe they found out it was going to be these episodes. And just the, the, the stuff that, that kind of maybe go down that rabbit hole was you look at the Superman backup stories, uh, right? That the, the, uh, photo album stories that happens at the end, right? Yeah. So just, it, so just as I don't mean to cut you off, but just for anyone who ha- like, hasn't watched one of these, so one of the things, and we'll talk more about these little vignettes a, a little bit later on. But one yes. of the things that's like su- really, in- I was going to say super interesting, really interesting about um, this cartoon, and I do think this is uh, I, kind of unusual for for a kids' cartoon, is that yeah, um, you know the first 18 minutes would be your main Superman action story, and then the last four minutes of every episode would be reserved for these four minute vignettes of Superman's family album, and they would each tell a little, just a quick story about Clark's um, about Clark growing up all the way from his adoption through his debut as Superman. And, and there were a bunch of stops along the way. Um, but so each episode had this four minute vignette. And I actually love that they did that because that format is something that I still think is still relatively uncommon now, but I would imagine back then was, you know, still maybe a revolutionary ish kind of thing. I don't have enough data to say that it never happened before that, but I thought that was kind of unique and kind of cool. But what interests me is that you start at the very beginning in that episode. And then the very last one that you see is his first appearance as Superman. So I don't know where you go after that. I mean, do you transfer the, you know, again, you can make the argument that in a, a, a subsequent season, you would just make those last four minutes, a different story about something else, but it really does seem like a definitive end when, when you get to that point, because they're almost at the same point, both on the B side and the A side of the show. They kind of converge close enough in time. So also the, the other thing that kind of lends my theory is that as you watch these episodes, I feel like, and this is actually a part I enjoyed, the masochist that I am, <laughs> that it got more off the rails the further it got. I don't want to say that these people didn't care, but I feel like it's almost like they were just like, we're just going to tell whatever stories you want to tell, right? Because in the beginning, you do have Lex Luthor. You have a lot of recognizable Superman stories and motifs. And then by the end of it, Superman's in a space alien bar and there are just fights breaking out. And there's all these like very heavy, high concept sci-fi kind of themes and motifs going on that I don't necessarily associate with Superman immediately, especially when it's being put out to children in a broad audience. So I kind of, it's it's a fascinating experiment just to go and watch these episodes as they unfold, because it goes some places that I would not expect the show to go. Wait a minute. Are you saying that Bone Chill, Dr. Morpheus, Wild Shark, you're saying that these villains haven't earned a spot in the pantheon of the Superman rogues gallery? Well, I mean, I, I actually have a wild shark tattoo, but other, other other than that, no. What are we doing? Like, that's not exactly right. This are, this cartoon like, what, made what a big in, this cartoon made a big impression on Jeremy. He never heard about it before, but once he got to that wild shark episode, he was like, "Man, I ran 
down here in Charleston, I ran to the tattoo parlor and I said, wild, give me this, this bland underwater pirate tattoo right now. That's what I need. Yeah. So again, I, I, yeah. And we'll talk about the arc of the stories, but, but especially as far as those vignettes go, it's like, yeah, we do go from adoption through debut as Superman. So the, the vignettes in particular really do have an arc and a sense of completion to them. Um, now, sure. had, had there been another season, either, you know, they could have filled in other gaps or maybe just ditched that or, you know, they could have done any number of things. But, there you know, there might be something to that. So I really, I don't know. I mean, it's possible that if we were to try to reconcile these these somewhat conflicting uh, accounts, I mean, it could be that, you know, DC didn't really want to do it. So they charged a very high licensing fee and the, the understanding was they would kind of only do 13. And maybe the ratings were sort of so-so, maybe not bad enough to get canceled, but not great enough that they would try to work something out for more. I mean, I don't know. That's my my attempt at trying to, you know, kind of weave all of this together. I don't, I don't really know for sure. But that those were the, the things that I came across that I figured I would present. Yeah, no, it's, it's all very interesting and worthy of, of discussion. My, so my big question is, did we ever find out definitively, were there action figures put out Yes. of this show? Okay, so uh, wait, let me say one more thing just as far as the, the, the production, because this is, I think for Please. comics for comics fans, I think would, would really find this interesting, is that uh, Marv Wolfman was the story editor. and this was, I have that written down in my notes as well, too, and some fun bits. Yeah, how about that, huh? Yeah. That's pretty surprising. And comic book artist Gil Kane did the all the character yep. designs. So you know the the comic book pedigree you know was was really here for this. So I found a very interesting story on um, comic book re or cartoon research dot com is what it was. Let me make sure I got that right. Cartoon, excuse me, cartoon research dot com had a very cool little article about it, and nothing like maybe necessarily as like mind blowing as we would have hoped. But they had a bunch of kind of these interesting nuggets. And one of the things that they had actually was Marv Wolfen being involved. And supposedly uh, at the time, the writer of the show, Andy Mangles, called him up and said, oh, like I heard that like, you know, you know, Superman, like you're a pretty good writer. You know, do you want to come on the show? And Marv Wolfman kind of paused and was like, yeah, okay, like I'll do that. But Marv Wolfman legitimately believes that he had no idea about his comic book writing pedigree before joining this show, which I thought was a hilarious anecdote in and of itself. <laughs> that is funny. And I came across that too. And I think that points to, again, how little there is out there. It's like, if you search for this, you're yeah. probably going to come across the same handful of, yeah. of, of sites. You and I read all the, all the same things. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Okay. So here's the thing about the toys and I'm glad you brought it up because I, I wanted to talk yes. about this. So not so much on this podcast, interestingly enough, but on uh, my other show, My Comic Shop History, I've talked about this numerous times where as much as I got into Superman comics with the death of Superman, I did have a Superman action figure that I had gotten in between 1987 when I was born and 1992 when I got the death of Superman. <laughs> Somewhere in between there, I had the Superman action figure. And that was one of the reasons why when I saw the death of Superman, it meant something to me because I knew who the character was in some sense. And I've I've been kind of working under the theory that that figure was the Kenner Superpowers Superman figure. And I actually, years ago during law school, I went on eBay and I tracked down, uh, and it's in the showcase behind me here, um, it's still in its package, the Kenner Superpowers Superman figure. But now I think that it was actually the Toy Biz line from 1989, the DC Superheroes line, that uh, was, was actually the Superman figure. I mean, it's, 
it's possible, but I think with the timing, it's more likely that it was the, the, the toy biz. Now, and people on YouTube can comment and correct me, but I believe that they use the same mold. Like they were basically the same, more or less the same version of uh, the superpowers figures. So mm -hmm. if you were to just look at the figures out of the package, I don't know that it would really be much of a difference, I guess is my point. Sure. But the reason why I'm so glad you brought up the toys is that as a kid, I had this Lex Luthor action figure and it was not, the Kenner superpowers Lex in the green battle suit. It was the businessman Lex in his blue suit with the black shirt mm -hmm. underneath. And as I'm watching this cartoon, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I'm like, that's where, that, that's where that comes from. So that's incredible. Yeah. So there you go. What a twist. You were a fan the whole time inadvertently, <laughs> maybe, and maybe tangentially, but still, but is I know you know what that but as like that's I said, incredible like, like it's weird to finally be able to get some context for that action figure I had so mm -hmm. to answer your question no there was never like there wasn't a Ruby Spears Superman you know line that was you know directly tied just to that show but yes there was this Toy Biz line of action figures and at least when it comes to the Lex that was right that was the same version as the cartoon so that you talking about the whole licensing comment conversation is what kind of spurred that thought in my mind right because especially in the 1980s in the late 1980s like why would you even have a cartoon show if you're not going to have toys and action figures for it right yeah so that that's kind of what made that thought and even um yeah, i'm jumping a little bit ahead here but even when you watch the first episode and you see the uh, defend droids yeah boy they literally just look like action figures like i can as soon as i saw that i was like that looks like an 80s action figure i could buy in a store somewhere so i was i was very curious about that yeah yeah so uh it, it's funny because i i went on ebay and i looked up the toy biz dc superheroes superman figure and they're expensive there's like i mean if you want get it in the package it's like uh 100 or 150 i was like oh was like, but i looked up the lex and i was seeing it for like i don't know 10 bucks 15 bucks still in the pack so i'm gonna order that because i think that would be cool to have as especially as a little yeah. memento after after this episode for sure that's awesome man that is that's is really awesome i have to look into that myself now do they have a jimmy olsen with a super rad skateboard unfortunately because not. that's you know, I got to tell you that Jimmy Olsen in the show, he's got style coming in on a skateboard. I appreciate that. You know, he does. He does. So mm -hmm. let's, let's talk a little bit more about sort of like the, the show, big picture, then we'll take a commercial break and then we'll get, I guess, more into the specifics of, of the episode. But, um, and then we talked about the, uh, again, the, some of, some of the production and who was involved in it. But again, I think what really does make this cartoon stand out is what I was getting at before this idea that it represents at the time really the sum total of Superman's history so you know mm -hmm. when you watch the opening credits it's a, a rearranged version of the John Williams uh, score from Superman the movie yep. and the version of Clark that we get even though we were in the comics we were now post-crisis John Byrne a very competent capable confident Clark Kent um, we still got the like the more bumbling, soft-spoken, cowardly, you know, Clark in in this cartoon. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, um, the Kents are alive as they were post-crisis, and we get that businessman Lex. So he's not floating around in a in a green war suit. He's in his purple business suit, and you know, Superman can't get enough dirt to put him behind bars. So you do. So you really get like this really interesting mix. And. Uh 
again, I have you to thank after our exploration of all of these origin stories of Superman that we've done that I can't ever watch a Superman property or origin story without immediately seeing it and being like, okay, so he's a baby in this one. His parents are alive, just like you laid out. So yeah, and they do, to the show's credit, that must have had a considerable amount of thought and research put into it that I appreciate because you could tell that people did care. Um, I don't think this is a show that was made without care. Right. As funny as that sounds. And I, I think that's what you just said is, is proof of that because somebody knew enough to what was going on in the comics, what maybe DC's big picture idea was for Superman and to kind of put all of these elements together, but still make it accessible to a kid who's still tuning in for the very first time. Maybe he's never even seen Superman before. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, it's like it would have been fascinating to be in that that writer's room where they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out because, I, you know, that's I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that's no small task, like to their credit. If yeah. you're in theory. Right. And and again, given the fact that this came out on the 50th anniversary, I mean, I have to imagine this was the case. Like if your marching orders are like, OK, come up with a cartoon that represents 50 years of the character's history. <laughs> Yeah, it's like what you know. Where where do you you know lean into recent developments? Yeah. Where do you kind of pull back and go with maybe the more classic depiction that people are familiar with? I mean, you know, the our core cast right is Clark, Lois, Perry, Jimmy, and that. I mean, it felt like I was right back in the George Reeves Adventures of Superman television series, mm-hmm. like with that you know with that core group and the opening narration is the same one that they use, virtually the same one that they use in The Adventures of Superman, but the narration is done by the narrator from the Super Friends cartoon. So like more they, powerful than a locomotive. Yeah, and like so they mm-hmm. really like they really pulled in um, so much and and again we mentioned the Kents being alive, but at the same time in in the this cartoon, you know, Clark has his powers including flight from the t- from the time he's a baby. So it really <laughs> what, <laughs> that what was the notes I have is like yeah, one of the notes I have in those backup stories, boy, nobody in Smallville really cares too much that he has these powers, huh? Because, boy, you are right about that. It is just anything goes there in Smallville from the jump with him and his powers. Yeah. So, uh, but so, yeah, I mean, I think in, in that sense, it, it's, um, it, it is cool that it, I think in a lot of ways, like it is a, it is a pretty effective encapsulation of those 50 years. I mean, Again, it, it really borrows from a lot. At the same time, it's the closest for people who are like really into um, the, the, and I know many are, understandably, rightfully. I know for people who are really into the Christopher Reeve incarnation of the character and the the the, the first couple movies in particular, it's sure. like as close to a Superman the movie animated series. I think that you you can Without have out of doubt, and I think that I even read that it was by design that they were really going for the Christopher Reeves model as well, which makes sense for the whole kind of shared image and kind of brand that DC seemed to be going for at the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so why don't we take a quick commercial break and then uh, we'll we'll talk more and we'll, and we'll get into specific episodes because there were a few things that there were a few things I really liked, and I do have a few favorite episodes as I'm sure you do as, as well. And then there was also some stuff that I think we'll, we'll, we'll probably have some fun discussing, uh, you know. Oh, yes. Yes. All right. So, uh, so we'll be right back. Shadadigans is a weekly podcast by dads sharing their fairly new dad experiences and also just talking about whatever. Listen, relate, and laugh. I was a guest on episode 90, and it was a blast. One of the hosts is a multiple guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. To follow Justin's fitness and cosplay journey, Follow him on Instagram at Real Life Lobo. And if you're interested in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out Iron and Honor on Instagram. 
If you enjoy this show, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. I also hope you'll consider joining my Patreon community. The support of my patrons enables me to produce this podcast, and patrons get rewards too, including exclusive episodes, advanced listens, and more. Sign up today and get instant access to the back catalog. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. Thank you to all of my patrons. I truly appreciate your support. All right, so we are back. Now, you know, you and I talked about this the last time you were on the show, but you you are an actor, and have you, you've done some voice acting, right? Yes, sir. Yes, I sure have. I've done a, a little bit of everything. I've been lucky in that regard, but uh, primarily for video games, I've done some voice acting and um, some uh, not really any animation per se. I did a few little just kind of like fan projects for fun that people threw together, which was good fun. But um, I do. I love voice acting. Me and my wife still are just such huge fans, both of us, of so much animation. We're big Adventure Time fans as well. Uh, when we got married, the song that actually played right when we got married at the altar was the closing credits theme from Adventure Time. So we're a very big like animation voice acting family, which is also why I was so excited to jump on this episode with you. That's awesome. I, that's really, really cool to hear. Yeah. Well, so on that note, so, I mean, you're the, a great person to ask then. I mean, I guess my my general big picture question is, you know, what were your thoughts about the voice acting? And then specifically with respect to Lex Luthor, because um, I feel like this was a real specific take on Lex. So uh, so I'll throw it to you. <laughs> what were your impressions of the, uh, the, the vocal performances on the show? You- could not have given me a better setup too. Unsurprisingly, we're uh, we're pretty much on the same page here. So uh, the voice actor for Superman, who is, I believe is Bo Weaver, I thought was fantastic. I thought he did a wonderful job playing Superman. I could very easily be uh, the voice of Superman that I hear when I'm reading a comic book. I thought it was wonderful. However, uh, Lex Luthor, when I was first watching, um, and I believe that was Michael Bell voicing Lex Luthor, it ended up being okay for me, but in that first episode, when I first heard him, I literally said, whoa, to nobody in particular, because I was like, this isn't Lex Luthor. It just, it really, and I think that's for me because of our age and growing up with a more contemporary takes on Lex Luthor, it was a very jarring, different take on Lex Luthor, just from like the, the, the dialogue, the voice even, it was very different, and it grew on me, don't get me wrong, and I guess this is a good segue to mention this too. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Anthony. Is Lex Luthor in only four episodes of this series? Yeah, I think I read that in one of the articles, and I don't. I think it is like four, maybe maybe five, but that's yeah, that's it. What happened there? That's another question we'll never get an answer to, and that's you know I just don't understand why he would only be in four episodes and like not the last one. It's a, that's a good question. Um, I'll say this: one of the show's strengths, I think, was was that they leaned into the John Byrne post-crisis businessman Lex because it it, and especially for a kids' cartoon, I really do give them a lot of credit because it's like Superman doesn't. I mean, you know, Superman stops Lex's schemes, but he can never fully bring Lex to justice, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and and again, especially for a kid's cartoon, it's like the hero wins, but not fully. And I think that was a really, really cool thing to be yeah. able to show. So so I like that a lot. I mean, as far as, you know, the, the extent to which they used him, I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it's funny, and I know we touched on this before, but when you look at the villains who were used, so one of the episodes that I believe you did not have on Tubi, 
our future sponsor. I wonder how many times we have to say Tubi before uh, we'll we'll get a sponsorship. If anybody here wants to just put us in touch with the people at Tubi, we'll give you a, a shout out on the show. I, I'm not authorized to say that, but I think Anthony would be okay with that. That's perfectly fine. I'm still waiting for the DC people, the DC Universe Infinite app, whatever that's called. For I'm waiting for them I, to you, call. They probably have just been trying to call and we probably just missed it. It's <laughs> probably what happened if I had to make a guess, you know? So, uh, you know, uh, uh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll say this real quick. Because DC Comics, I, I don't know how much faith I necessarily have in the publishing company at the moment. And I'll just kind of leave mm-hmm. that there. But that's why I'm so happy with this podcast that we're taking we're really looking at Superman the character. Like I'm not just looking yeah. at one specific era of the comics or one comics run. And for those podcasts that do, that's I'm not I'm not knocking that like in the slightest. That's totally cool. But it's like I'm I'm happy to be looking at the character as a whole across time and media because it's not tied to one company and one company's decisions at the moment. Part of our folklore. Exactly. Anyway. Uh, that was my quick little tangent there. So one of the episodes that I think you didn't have on Tubi was Triple Play, the prankster episode. That's the one with the problem. I was going to say the prankster. So, not the trickster, weirdly enough, but the prankster. Yeah, not the – yeah, exactly. How not, many of these little rascals are running around the DC universe, Anthony, you know? I know. Well, so so Triple Play, is, just real quick, is the episode where uh, the prankster steals the World Series. Uh, he transports the, the teams playing in the World Series along with uh, a judge who put him away, Lois, Jimmy, and Superman to this island and forces them to play baseball. Yeah. I mean, typical uh, villain plan. As you do. Of course. Yeah. As you do. As you yes. Do. <laughs> but I bring it up because that's one of the, you know, there aren't a ton of episodes that utilize recognizable villains from the rogues gallery. I mean, we get Lex mm-hmm. a handful of times. We get Prankster in that one episode. And that was a decent, yeah. it was a, it was fine. I'm not the biggest Prankster fan, so I don't think you missed that much. But that was an episode where we got a recognizable villain. And then probably my favorite episode, and we could talk about it you know, more later, but The Hunter, um, where they actually use Zod. My man, my man. Yeah. I was going to say, I have a tie for my favorite episode, but part of that tie is The Hunter. That's probably the strongest episode overall. What's the other I one? I agree with you. Uh, so, I mean, the other one's kind of a cop out, but I think it's the last episode just because it's so crazy. <laughs> the last time I saw Earth, that episode is the work of crazy people and I love it so much. It's crazy for a Superman show. I mean, my, my goodness. Hunter is, I think, objectively the best episode, like bananas especially as a last episode like that does nothing as a finale to tie anything with a bow lex luther's not even in it and it's just it's it's crazy he goes to like not only another planet but through a black hole to another dimension and then he's in like a most eisley-esque like space bar having a fight where he has one of my favorite lines in the entire series this whole alien bar fight breaks out and superman just goes i like this place it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is. Um, and so, you know, so that's the thing. It's like most of the episodes utilize some of those other villains, like I mentioned, like Bone Chill, uh, who yep. has this talisman that allows him to, you know, conjure mummies and other supernatural creatures, which oddly have no effect on Superman, despite magic being a weakness. I couldn't that, reconcile that. Was gonna be that. My- that was going to be my question too, man. Because like, why why else would you have a magic villain in a Superman story? Because it's like, okay, we've done the the Kryptonite already. How? What's his other weakness? It's magic. It's right there, and that's why you have a, a magic villain or a magic entity. I would think it was it was like a double reversal because uh, you know 
or maybe just a reverse because when when that episode unfolded i was like oh that's going to be his challenge in this episode because it's a supernatural threat and then he like you know uses his powers against these creatures and they turn to smoke and that was it and i was like oh okay so that's the twist they they just have to hit like the the middle of them like the giant glowing it's like the old like cliched video game thing you have to hit the middle glowing part to to destroy them but my goodness yeah that was very silly so that's the hunter was a cool villain though yeah, I like that whole um, kind of um, super adaptoid slash absorbing man kind of idea. That's always very fun to me uh, to see in action. Yeah, so the hunter, so that, so I'll say this because I know we, you know, we directed people to Tubi and other places where, like the DVD, where they can watch these episodes. But if if you were to pick one, I would say the hunter. I would say watch the hunter. I agree. You'll you'll get no pushback from me. And then please go watch the last time I saw Earth because it's the work of crazy people and I love it so much. Yeah. But yes, you are right. The Hunter is, I think, the standout of the series. The, the Hunter is the best one. Um, so that's episode seven. And so Ma and Pa Kent are visiting Clark in Metropolis. And so we get, um, you know, we I think that's, is that the, or there's two, there are two instances where we get the Kents in the present day, not just in the vignettes. Yes, I believe that's correct. That you are correct though. This does begin with them visiting him. I believe they're in the zoo. Yeah. It's in a zoo park in the beginning of the episode, right? And um Superman has to keep leaving them, but of course that endangers them. And I think they get kidnapped in a helicopter at one point. And there's just like a lot going on in that episode. Yeah. Well, I think that I think you might have mentioned a couple of things that are that have to do with um the big scoop. Oh, uh, is that the one so Maybe you're right. In the big scoop, maybe they get put in the helicopter. Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah. Well, let's circle back. Let's circle back to the big scoop because that that was that was actually yeah. that was that would be my tie. The hunter and the big scoop for my favorite. In the big scoop. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but so in the hunter, so Mon Pa are visiting, and um, and then uh, Zod in the Phantom Zone. He's there with two unnamed uh, females. You know, Ursa, yep. Feora. We don't know. They're not named. I don't believe. Uh, maybe they might be in the credits, although I don't know. I didn't check. Um, I didn't either. That's a good point. We could probably look that up. But, but so they're yes, they, good point. So they're there in the Phantom Zone, you know, d- devising a way to enact their revenge on the son of Jor-El, their jailer. And so they come up with they they conjure, they create this creature, the Hunter, who can yep. who can actually uh, you know puncture the the barrier between the Phantom Zone and the real world, and has mm-hmm. the ability to uh, you know take on the the, the properties of, of different materials, including kryptonite. And, you know, so Superman has to fight him and, and he ultimately, the, the hunter gets his hands on Lex's kryptonite and turns into this kryptonite being and Superman fakes his death. And so we go through this, I mean, it plays out in like 30 seconds, but basically there's it's a wild, yeah, there's a period of time where like the world thinks Superman's dead and then he had given Lois this device to revive him and then he's able to, to beat the hunter. But it was, it was pretty cool. Like it really kind of ran the gamut of, of emotion. Like there was a lot, there's a lot going on in that one. And that one, I think also, aside from just being an interesting story and a lot going on, does have a lot of those elements where you could be like, this is a Superman story, right? Because you have Mom, Pop, Kent, you have General Zod, you have the Phantom Zone, you do have the cast of Daily Planet that you're expecting. But that ends up being, I think, more of a rarity throughout this run than not, which I think is also a very peculiar choice as well. So I think this one really does check all the boxes. Well, and so that's the thing. Like, I... And, you know, not to play Monday morning quarter, quarterback decades later, but it's like, especially for a show that ostensibly was meant to encapsulate 50 years, you would think 
that they would use more of the recognizable rogues. And I think that was one of the reasons why I kind of had a hard time getting into some of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when we're talking about, you know, Wild Shark, this pirate in the Bermuda Triangle, who, you know, who, who's, you know, capturing. Ships. So boring. He's just so boring. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, and that's not to say that I'm opposed to a new villain. If it's a really compelling one with a good story, but if it's not, it's like even, I mean, I think the Hunter Zod story was really, I think that was really solid in and of itself. But even if it had been a little more lackluster, at least it's a Zod story. (laughs) It's like, you know, with a lot of these, you don't have it. So that's why, you know, I know I had messaged you and I was like, and I'll, you know, I'll share with the audience. I, that's my promise here. I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm coming on the show to like gush about everything that I'm reading and watching. There's some stuff that like doesn't really hold up. And I'll be honest, as I was making my way through these episodes over the, over the past few nights. Well, let me say this. They don't fly by. I don't know what your, what your take was, but it, you know, the main story is only like 18 minutes, but it felt like it. It really felt like it. I'm a, I'm an older man than I was before I took this task on. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is what I feel like. Like I sat down to watch these and I'm like, ah, oh, it's a cartoon. And I'm like, once you, you know, cause the vignettes are, they're their own little thing. And weirdly on the DVD, I don't know. You might like this. You might not. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of split on it. They, they, they bifurcate it. So it's like, they'll, they'll give you, um, you know, destroy the Defendroids. You can click on that to watch. And then the adoption, there's actually no option I guess unless you play all, but there's otherwise no option to like watch the entire episode together. Oh, interesting. What an interesting choice. Cause yeah, on Tubi, it's all just forced upon you for, for better or for worse. Um, you know, I'll, I'll share with you this this anecdote here. Uh, Long time listeners of the show will know that I love, uh, being prepared. Um, even though it's a Superman podcast, maybe that's the Batman in me, but I love being prepared and having copious, copious notes. I got to episode five of this show and I just had to stop taking notes at some point because it just got to the point where I was like, I'm just writing down the same thing over and over again, but like with a different character. So I, I, I had, I had to stop. It was, you're right. The, the initial A side stories are only 18 minutes, but some of those episodes boy, do they feel long. They really do feel long. And I think a lot of that has to do with the pacing. And perhaps that's also why maybe The Hunter is the standout because a lot is happening. But that episode does seem, compared to the others, do a very good job of moving you from point A to B to C to D to E, as opposed to the other ones are just like, here's a bunch of stuff that are happening. And it kind of really took me out whenever the show spends a lot of time on the Clark Kent, ha-ha, goof bumbling and that would happen multiple times in some episodes. You know, it would just be like, okay, let's move it on. Let's move it along. You know, so it, it was so funny about the about the notes. I mean, I, I get it. And I'm glad you stopped. I, I Honestly, I would have felt bad if you were like, I took copious notes on all these episodes. I would have been like, oh my I had God. To, I got to five episodes and I was like, enough's enough. I have, I'm hurting myself at this point. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I fell asleep during the Wonder Woman episode. I was struggling. Mm-hmm. I was struggling hard during that one. It's Wonder I, Woman. But yep. I couldn't do it. Well, by the way, I found out, uh, and you probably read too, based on some of the stuff that we found, was uh, supposedly based on the George Perez version of Wonder Woman as well too, which I think is also interesting. It goes back to our point that this show was made with care, and some people obviously did have care about it. So I don't want to sound like we're just dismissing it, but listen, when my daughter took her naps during the day, and this is we're talking at like 1230 in the afternoon, folks, <laughs> I would put it on, 
And there were times where I dozed off too and the episode would be over and I'd have to go back to square one. So I'm right there with you. It's um, it's very difficult. It's a good thing that they're free on Tubi. On Tubi. I mean, <laughs> and, and here's the thing, you know, for anyone who's listening or watching as we're talking here who grew up watching this, you know, I'm sure you have a personal attachment to it and you're probably like, no, yep. like these are gems. And that's, I mean, again, as as I've said in other instances where I haven't liked something, I wish I did. I really, yep. I mean, honestly. Um, and, and I will say this too. I mean, you know, we're spoiled that we really came up with Superman the Animated Series by Bruce Timm. Why are we spoiled? Yes, yes. And if you go back to the 40s, though, those Fleischer cartoons were gorgeous. And I mean, I, I talked about those in an earlier episode. And I'll do another episode, like, fully f focused on the Fleischers. But, I mean, those were so beautifully animated. I mean, and they hold up. Like, they're gorgeous. Um, are those on uh, HBO Max or the, the DC app, by any chance? Do you know? I think they're on Tubi. <laughs> They're on Tubi. No, I think they actually are. People are going to really think that we're secretly sponsored by Tubi, and I'm, I'm here for it. I want you to know that. I know. I And I want to say I'm so grateful for the sponsors I have. Honest, and, you know, you heard a commercial about uh, um, the Shadadigans podcast and yes. Iron and Honor yes, Fitness. Yes, yes. My buddy Justin. I want to I show uh, this watch uh, that, that Justin got for me. If anyone's watching on YouTube, he sent me this Beautiful. Superman watch. It's gorgeous. So thank you, Justin. I'm grateful for the sponsors we have. I'm certainly open to others, but yeah, no, we have no connection to Tubi. Uh, but I think the Fleischers are there. They're available. Like I actually have them on the um, like the Superman antholo movie anthology Blu-ray that collects all the Christopher okay. Reeve movies and Superman Returns and like a bunch of other like odds and ends, and they're all on there. So you can watch them in a bunch of places. Um, but those Fleischer cartoons were really special. They, but I think that's. They're kind of an outlier. Then in the 60s, you have the Filmation cartoon, which again, if you mm -hmm. grew up with it, I'm sure you have an attachment to it. I don't know that they... So I think that... I don't know how, the, how well they hold up. So I think that this cartoon actually was a big step forward. You know? And and maybe in some ways, you know, especially with the with the industrialist Lex, I mean, maybe paved the way a little bit for what we would get in the Bruce Timm cartoon. So... Um, sure. Again, there's there's value there. But yeah, they there were times where it was a little bit of a slog. But... Yeah, I'm gonna take us a little bit of a left turn here, and to anybody it. who doesn't, to anybody who doesn't enjoy video games, I promise this won't be long. But just <laughs> bear with me. I had a really good talk with my friend Kevin, who I often do about such things. Who's a very like-minded individual, like we are, and he sent me a meme that basically was just a picture of Goldeneye, and it said, "Still better than Fortnite." And Goldeneye for the Nintendo 64 was, again, it'd be hard pressed to find people our age who either love it or at the very least know it and understood that it was a very big deal when we were growing up in the 90s. However, I told him, objectively, that's not true. Fortnite is a much better game than GoldenEye, but it's that nostalgic bias. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said there are people who have an emotional nostalgic attachment to that show, and that's valid. That is completely valid, and I understand that because you and I are very clearly like that about many things as well so i don't want it to sound like we're dismissing that but if we are trying to look at things objectively in 2021 it's just things have progressed and advanced to a point where it's not the same quality and storytelling that we are accustomed to and we're spoiled in that regard i think as as well too certainly but i, I think that just needs to be said yeah i agree and you know as, but i will say this 
as far as like where I think there were strengths with this show, I thought, and tell me what you think. I mean, as far as the animation itself, I thought it was strong. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought, it, I thought it looked good. I thought it was, I don't know if I'd say timeless necessarily, but there was nothing, there was nothing about it that offended me. Yeah. I, I had no like glaring problems with the animation or anything like that. So yeah, I, I thought it was fun. I thought it, they did some cool things with colors. Like when he would go into space and when, as they got weirder and more trippier kind of with some of their stories, I thought it was kind of cool to see kind of like these different uh, artistic kind of renditions of maybe something magical or maybe a bl- the black hole sequence I thought was actually pretty cool for the time period as well too, where people really kind of, the artists got to stretch their legs a little bit, so to speak, and kind of, you know, play around with some different things. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, I think the animation was solid. I think the score was great. And I agree with you about the voice acting and especially with Bo Weaver. And I think the, you know, the difference in his performance when he's Clark versus Superman, you know, I think he really, you know, did what he needed to do for the role. I agree with Lex. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the best description is like for anyone who hasn't watched it, but he just struck me. He sounded like a used car salesman. Without a doubt, nail on the head. It's like he was, um, I don't know if we have any Better Call Saul fans here, but uh, he reminded me of kind of like those like early morning, like late night lawyer commercials, that kind of shyster, which is a, not a bad take necessarily for what they were going for, I suppose. But for somebody who grew up with the material at the time in the place that we did, it is definitely a very jarring departure to kind of hear that voice uh, and, and that writing as well. Yeah. And I also, I want to circle back to, you know, we're talking about the bumbling Clark and I, cause I was really thinking about this and I've, I've talked in other episodes. That's, that's, I prefer a mild mannered Clark is fine, but I think the bumbling is too much. And, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's funny to me, I was thinking about this. So this came out in 88. So this was the 50th anniversary. And yes, for the time, this did represent the way Clark had been depicted generally. Right. But it's like now we're we're decades past that. And when you look at virtually every incarnation, we have gotten them. We have gotten really like that John Byrne post-crisis Clark. You know, you look at Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, um, even Smallville. I mean, towards the at the very end, when he really adopted like the Clark Kent reporter persona, even then it was a little bumbling, but still more kind of on the mild mannered side. But that that did still kind of play into the Christopher Reeve a little bit. Um, but you know, the, the Henry Cavill version, the, the version that we're getting on Superman and Lois, like it's not, he's not like tripping over himself all the time. So it's just funny to me that it's like, yeah, at the time in 1988, the bumbling Clark was most representative of the history of the character. But now decades removed from that, you know, if you were to do it, if you were to do a cartoon to represent the past few decades, you know, not the entirety of the character's history, I do think the more confident Clark would be the one you would go to. And I am happy for that. Um, But it was, it was just kind of interesting to be like, yeah, at the time, but now that really has shifted. And cause so my, my problem has always been this. If we're looking at what Superman is really doing as Clark Kent, what does he have to gain by being bumbling and doing that it's basically a simplistic way of him saying hey guys i'm not superman so much that i'm also clumsy and kind of a dope it just seems like a an unnecessary step where why can't he just be a good reporter a good human reporter who's good at his job and i would even argue it's smarter that way because he's drawing less attention to himself 
It, yeah, exactly. Well, and you and I, we talked about the miniseries American Alien when we did our post-crisis origins yeah. episode. And, you know, there's a there's a great bit in that where, um, you know, uh, Pete Ross and Kenny Braverman visit Clark in Metropolis. They know his secret and they say, like, don't people ever like recognize you? And he's like, you know what people say to me? You look like Superman. And that's it. <laughs> And that's it. Right. That's right. It. Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't think of it as long as you're not drawing overt attention to yourself. And that's, that's something that's always kind of stuck with me. So I, I'm in full agreement uh, as well. I prefer a uh, competent, cool and collected Clark Kent. Yeah, man. Same here. A hundred percent. And I, I guess it also kind of speaks to like the way, and I know we talked about this, but like the way we look at the character and who he really is. And I think, you know, if Clark is who he is and that's who he grew up, being and who he was raised to be and so it's like he's just a reporter like when he's clark he's just living his life yeah it's not a secret identity that's him that's just who he is but i think you know with this bumbling clark the thing i always come back to and i know this is maybe bordering on on you know nitpicking a little bit but you know we're, we're examining these aspects of the character i just think about what needless effort you would have to expend in order to keep up this act and you look at like some of the instances where like he really has to bend over backwards, like while he's trying to save people, like while there's all this stuff going on, you know, to try to keep his secret. And it's like at a certain point, if this were real, it's like at a certain what did you be like? This is not worth my time. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you see that guy knock over uh, all those coffee mugs? He's definitely not Superman. I mean, it's 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 silly. It gets to a point where like you're right. It's unnecessary effort where just laying low and being himself and being like, Hey, like this guy's really smart, which I think is something that's often way too. And we, we've talked about this briefly, but we, we overshadow this. And I think a lot of that has to do with his partnership uh, with Batman as well, who often, you know, Bruce gets paired as often as the brains of the operation, but Clark is a very smart and very intelligent person and very capable as well too. And I also find it hard to believe that with that in mind, that would, would Perry white hire, this bumbling uh, journalist or would he hire like this guy who might not have the traditional experience in a lot of the tellings, but presents himself as a very intelligent, focused and capable person. I mean, that's another wrinkle to kind of add to it too, if we're telling a truthful story. Well, and, and to your point in your, in your set or tied for your favorite episode, the, the last one where, you know, the space shuttle gets, you know, taken yeah. by, by aliens who want to eat, eat humans because their proteins will make them immortal. I, that was the premise the of that episode. Crazy. The work of crazy people. It's fantastic. But there's this point where, you know, Clark and, and Perry are like watching the news and, and, you know, Perry wants Clark to go on the shuttle too, something like that. And Clark is like, no, like I'm too scared. And Perry's like, listen, son, like you gotta, you know, you gotta get some courage here. But exactly to your point, it's like, well, but you hired this guy. So if he's such yeah, a coward, why, why what are you would doing? you keep him around? Yeah. Like, why would you bring somebody like that in staff who won't go do the assignments that you want him to do? You know? And that's, that's the thing. And I, I think it also kind of just lessens his character overall too, because there is more of an element of truth, right? He's, to me, it feels like he's, it's not a secret identity. He is Clark. He is Clark as much as he is Superman. And that book plays into the whole beautiful duality of the character that I think is very, very unique, even among many other dualities and quote unquote secret identities in comic books is that this isn't some persona or guys he puts on. This is Clark is just as valid and just as real in many more ways, maybe even more so than Kal-El and Superman, uh, especially depending on which rendition of the character that you're reading. And him doing these actions to Bumble seems like he's actively lying to people. And that seems to me at least a little bit against the core of who I think Superman should be. 
you, you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, that's the issue. That's like the main issue that I have with it. Um, but in any event, you know, this is very much the Christopher Reeve bumbling Clark that you get in animated mm-hmm. form. So it's like, if that, like, if you're into that, you know, you definitely get that here. Um, or speaking of other similarities to Superman, the movie. So of course, an iconic scene from the movie is when Superman takes Lois flying, right? And that's how the series opens in the, in the first episode, he's taking her flying. And if I'm not mistaken, it happens twice more yeah i think it's in the wonder woman episode where it begins with them flying right i believe so i believe that's correct and there's another and it's funny because i was watching this and you know you watch the first episode and you see them flying and it's like okay like clearly we are evoking the the superman the movie this iconic scene it's like okay cool then it happens again and it's like okay fair enough you want to reinforce that (laughs) then it happens yet again and it's like all right listen it's too much i feel like you're undermining the 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 impact here and also like is there some kind of edict that says like they can't be like explicitly dating or in a relationship because that was a whole thing that was very weird to me more weird than them just being friends or being in a relationship it was this weird like both but not either situation yeah i mean well, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned before about Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. And again, I am going to cover that on the podcast, not part of this miniseries, but down the line. And um, and my wife, is she's a fan of it. And so I think we'll do like a little husband and wife uh, kind of look back at the series. But that's great. You know, I, I not to get ahead of myself, but I, I think we do have to kind of like tip our hats to that show for finally fully leaning into the romance aspect of all of this. Sure. Cause you look I'll concede at, to that. Because you look at all of these prior incarnations and it's like they, you know, Superman 2 is, I guess, the one exception to that where, you know, he actually does attempt a relationship with Lois. But, you know, for the most part, you know, like Adventures of Superman is exceedingly chaste. Like there's no, like, they like barely ever, they barely ever even hint at anything. Um, and, you know, and then you get stuff like here where he's flying with her, but like it never progresses. And so... Lois and Clark, I think, really kind of move things forward, um, I think, on that on that front. But the, the other thing with him flying with her is like, how do I put this? It's like, is this guy's only move? Like, and, and does he not? Well, they like, have a sky picnic, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is also, that's worse somehow. It's like, what are we even doing here? You know, it's. Yeah. But that's the thing. They're very clearly going on dates. But then they also say lines like, oh, I'm so lucky to have a close friend like Superman. And it's just maybe they just didn't they weren't comfortable with in a kid show being like they were in a relationship for whatever reason. And this kind of goes back to our big overreaching theme of I we wish we were behind the scenes for all of this, because I really think that whole behind the scenes story is probably infinitely more interesting than the actual product itself, because there's just so many choices that raise more questions that we won't get the answers to. Well, you know, it's funny that you, you say that because that's actually, that's a question that I've had for a while. And I brought this up when Rich Roney and I talked about Adventures of Superman many, many episodes ago because there too, um, you know, it's like Clark slash Superman like never even enter, seems to really entertain the notion of dating Lois or anyone really. Um, and similarly here too, I agree with you. Like they really kind of dance around it. It's like they're going on all these sky picnics and flights. It's like that seems right. to be beyond like a friendship, but they they won't 
you know, go, go beyond that. Um, and it's like, yes, I assume it's to protect the children, quote unquote, but, but it's like, I guess, why? I mean, I, you know, if, if he were dating her, it's like people date even, and even, you know, and, you know, we're talking the late eighties here. We're not, you know, it's not like it was that right. long it's, ago. Yeah. It's not like, you know, uh, 60, 70 years ago here. So it's like, what would have been, what would have been so scandalous about that? I, I don't know. I don't know. It makes me wonder the the edicts that were coming down from DC at the time too. It, you know, it definitely seems like they they wanted a certain kind of vision and image. And I wonder if that decision about their kind of relationship or non relationship tied into that as well too. Uh, kind of you know related to that note as well too. I don't love how they handled Jimmy Olsen through this whole thing. I felt like they didn't really give him anything to do for the most part. And he was just there because they were like, well, for celebrating 50 years of Superman history, we have to have Jimmy Olsen. Where Jimmy Olsen, when he's at his best, can be such an integral and interesting part of the whole Superman mythology and story and just a fascinating character in his own right. But he really was just a sounding board for Lois throughout this show, right? Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think that character was was very underserved and underutilized. I mean, I would argue you could probably argue like even Perry had like a a, a little. At least yes. he had the episode where he and his wife were on the cruise and they got taken yes. by a wild shark. <laughs> yeah, there were stakes involved with him there. Yeah, and on the note of Jimmy, I know I mentioned this when I did my mini sode months ago, but I feel strongly enough about it that I'll mention it again because I feel like and going back to you know the the ruse that you know that that Clark, that Superman carries on about his dual identity. I feel like this was so messed up in the, um, was the episode by the skin of the dragon's teeth, that episode where there's this, you know, ancient dragon that's, that's, uh, you know, that, that attacks. I think I know exactly where you're going and I love it already. To protect his identity, Superman uh -huh. creates this stone statue of Clark and says, Oh, the Which, yeah. How, first of all, <laughs> How I, I, sculpture, super sculpture, super is sculpture. Powers, yeah. I, oh, you never read that. Seen, you never yeah. read that story. Oh yeah. That's I, I missed that one, man. I missed it. <laughs> but so he creates this stone sculpture of Clark and he's like, Oh, the dragon turned Clark to stone and poor Jimmy Olsen has mm -hmm. to carry this stone statue of a grown man on a bicycle. This guy's pedaling. With this stone statue mm -hmm. behind him. Like, if you're Superman, you got to protect... You can't come up with anything else. This poor kid. I felt so... I felt bad for Jimmy in that episode. That was messed up. It was messed up. One thing about that episode, though, I'll say this, that I did enjoy, and I did jot down in a note before I, I tapped out vigorously, <laughs> was, uh, with no shame, was I did like that that was the only episode where we saw Clark and Luther having to work together even briefly to defeat that dragon, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I saw that and I was like, ah, oh, maybe there's a little bit of hope here for this show. Maybe, you know, we get more of these, well, you know, the enemy of my enemy of my friend or for the greater good, we have to work together where they see even briefly that when they are using their very different, but I would also argue complementary skill sets to each other, that they are actually very effective. And this is a far cry from their relationship in Smallville. That's obviously very, very well documented. But just that little uh, nugget, which ties into Operation Nugget, which, by the way, silliest name for an operation ever. 
I guess that's, that's me nitpicking, but <laughs> ridiculous. But I thought that was kind of cool that you do kind of have that very brief moment where they are forced to work together in that episode. Well, you know, that's the thing. That was one of the things I had jotted down too. There are, there are moments where they're like just touching on something really interesting. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I wish we, you know, and I guess going back to the relationship aspect in the bone chill, I think it's the bone chill episode. Um, you know, Clark has his alumni reunion at, at college, I believe. And he invites Lois as his date and she accepts. And she's like, oh, are you asking me as your date? And she goes and, you know, then he's stepping on her feet and all that stuff. But it was like, oh man, I would have like, we could have cut out all the bone chill stuff. I would have loved to <laughs> just spend a little more time. Yeah, give me an this- episode about their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And again, look, and for anyone who's like, hey, it's a kid's cartoon. I get it. I'm not expecting that they actually would do that. But it's just like, there were those moments where it's like, oh, like we're like really close to something here. That would have held my interest as an adult in 2021. Think about years later what a show like Justice League and Justice League Unlimited would do, though, with character relationships. You know, I, I remember completely believing and understanding the relationship of Green Arrow and Black Canary, uh, even having never read, even if I had never read a Green Arrow comic and I wasn't a fan. Like they did a good job of establishing that relationship. So uh, maybe it just was a little, maybe they just weren't there and weren't ready yet in like the timeline of where things were going. But Again, to, to your point, like they are on a date and they are very much explicitly on dates throughout the this this run. So it's just a very confusing decision. It's almost like there was some kind of internal power struggle or conflict where somebody was like, they're a couple, they need to be together. And somebody was like, no, they can't date. It's a children's show. And it just it's this weird kind of, like I said before, both but neither kind of situation. Yes. And it, I, and I think, yeah, that does create, uh, you know, it, it is just sort of like this weird gray area that, uh, that it lives in. Um, so let's take one more, uh, quick commercial break. And then, um, yeah, there are a couple of other funny bits and one big picture question about the vignettes that I want to ask you. Cause I, I've been trying to wrap my head around th- this one aspect and about like what their overall moral or, or message might be. And uh, I, so I want to ask you about that. So we'll take a quick commercial if you have, break. If, if you have superpowers, you can do bad things. That's the. Uh, okay. The so I, all right. As always, you and I are on the same page. We'll be right back. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> the Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Submission information for filmmakers as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. All right, and we're back. And thank you to all of our sponsors. Really do appreciate it. Um, so one of the funny things that that came to mind, I think about this a lot too when I watch the George Reeves Adventures of Superman show too. And... I don't know why this, I don't know why I always think about this, but um, maybe it's because in my, 
well, in my prior job, as you and I talked about on a recent episode, I did a fair amount of traveling because we did, we had to do a lot of recruitment and I would have to submit expense reports and things like that. So maybe that's why I always think about it. But I always think like watching the George Reeve show, watching this cartoon, it's like, what the hell kind of budget did the Daily Planet have? Because like they're always sending multiple reporters like on location on these big trips. And in this cartoon in particular, you think about how many news vans and news choppers get destroyed. And it's like, they don't even seem to blink an eye. I couldn't get past that. What do you think the reimbursement claim looks like for sending somebody into space? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm actually now in a position where I also request for reimbursement when I do have to travel as well too. So yes, I'm very familiar. And they do say in the beginning that if this isn't one of the tales where it's uh, like a struggling or a dying, they do say a great uh, metropolitan newspaper, which I actually thought was kind of funny in the beginning. Like there's a little plug for the Daily Planet in the in the beginning. They're calling it a great you know, uh, institution. But yeah, apparently they're doing really well. You know what? The internet isn't really in a boom yet. You know, print is still doing well. So I guess they're uh, they're living high off the hog over there on the Daily Planet, just throwing all this money to the wind. I know. No, I mean, I, I really do think that, um, you know, in large part, I think that does account for it, that, um, you know, it really was a different time. And I think, you know, newspaper, I mean, journalism, thankfully today, I think is is valued and, and people do recognize it's important journalism. But as far as like the actual like operation of the newspaper it's like yeah i don't i don't think (laughs) i can't imagine that they have those sorts of uh you know uh, expense allowances that that they do that they seem to have in these stories that we're talking about but it's so funny it's so funny to me yeah, that. It is. It's it's a very very good point as well too that I actually hadn't considered even until you just brought that up. But yeah, I mean it's it's wild. Perry White is just out there making it rain left and right. You know. One of the other things is, and and again, I hope people know that you know this is all in good fun. It's it's not it's not to it's not to pick it apart. But at the same time, it's like watching. There's some things that I, they just really make me laugh. So I said that one of you know one of my favorite episodes was the big scoop where Lex. Mm-hmm. Lex discovers Clark's secret identity, or at least he thinks he does. And then Clark has to figure out a way to, you know, still preserve his identity. By but, using smoke is how he solves some of that problem. Yeah. Well, it, smoke and Pa, and pa <laughs> Kent. Pa Kent in a Clark right. mask. Which, is that not just the craziest ending to an episode? Like, what? You know what's so funny is I was watching that and, uh, you know, Lex is convinced that Clark is Superman and he he puts Clark on television and arranges this disaster. And the only way that Clark can stop it is to reveal his identity on live TV and change into Superman. Which, and, to be fair, is a good plan. It's a good plan. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Um, and that obviously doesn't happen. And, you know, Clark remains in the studio somehow as Superman saves the day. And then Superman rescues Clark, quote unquote Clark. And it turns out that it's Pa Kent in this uh, like, girdle and 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 mask the girdle it's like right out of the mcu and black widow and these you know these masks that you can you know that you can wear reminds me of um i don't know if you're a fan of the mission impossible series yes but that's exactly what it brought to mind yeah but but out of all of that stuff in that episode i I did think that was a cool one and because it challenged superman in a different way and you know it really used lex effectively like that was a standout episode i was like oh like that's pretty cool out of the four that we got, that's the best Lex Luthor episode, I think. Oh, you didn't because like you, you didn't like no, the, go ahead. You didn't like the Shadow Thief f- episode. <laughs> that mm, this is going to sound wildly disrespectful, and I apologize because I do not mean to disparage anybody who worked on this show. 
that seemed like it was written to me like 4.59 p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> and people were just like, what if everybody was a shadow so Superman couldn't punch them? I mean, that episode is ridiculous. I don't want to say that's the worst one of the bunch, but it's the silliest, I think. And just that Lex Luthor, that's the last time we see Lex Luthor, is it not? I believe so, yeah. Like he has this gang, he has this gang of shadow thieves and they all wear this suit that, I mean, yeah, that one was. Yeah. And then Lois gets stuck in it. It's like, oh no, if I stay in here for more than an hour, I'm going to get stuck as a, as a shadow. It just, why? I just don't understand why. Well, on the, so related to that question of why, so the thing for all the stuff that happens in the big scoop episode, the, the thing that made me laugh, really made me laugh was you know, the reason Lex is able to discover Superman's identity is he steals this chronotron machine that allows the user to see an hour into the future. And so he sees Clark turning into Superman. But this device was developed by a scientist at the Smallville Institute of Technology. And world I'm, renowned. World renowned. And I'm, you know, yeah. <laughs> watching this, I'm like, you know, for a small town, they have quite the science operation going here. You couldn't use, you couldn't use Star Labs? Why don't we use use Star Labs? Well, I just don't understand why. Because we needed Pa Kent to be the decoy right. Clark to and, tie it all in, and yeah. that was how we did. And so, like that's like that's an instance where no, we were not in the writers' room, but you can see how they worked their way sure. through that one, where it's like, all right, you, you can see which they had the Pa Kent idea first. I feel like, like, what if he played him? How do we make this all connect? So yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So. Well, okay. So while we're talking about the Kents, um, again, I think you and I are on the same page. I want to talk about these vignettes because I'm a little troubled by them, I think. And maybe I shouldn't be. Are we going to spend <laughs> an entire new episode talking about that babysitter with him? Because I'm pretty sure I could talk for a while on just that alone because my goodness, there is craziness. That babysitter even has a line where I believe she's like, oh, I know what to do with little boys like you. And I was just like, whoa, like, do I have to like report this? Like, wh what's going on here? Like, and she's like, has that like suggestive outfit on while she's watching like young Clark. And I was like, you can't have Lois and Clark be in a relationship, but somehow this is all okay. Like it just, and again, broad strokes, that's probably the least of the problems with the backups, but it was just, it was craziness. And yes, as you, we both alluded to, perhaps the more pressing factor than that awkward, uncomfortable moment was that Clark seems to use his powers in his youth without abandon, without restraint, without control, and without any regard to who may or may not see him. And that is something that I think is okay once until Jonathan Kent intervenes and says, Son, you can never, ever do something like that ever again. Right, which doesn't happen until like the third to last vignette. So, I mean, here's the thing. So we get 13 vignettes. And I, let me say this. I, overall, I appreciate the idea of the vignettes. And like I said before, I sure. mean, you wouldn't expect that really in a kid's cart, a Saturday morning kid's no, cartoon. No, very unique. Very unique. So it's a really, really cool angle. I mean, I, I've never liked the idea of him having powers as a baby right. and a toddler. I like them emerging as he's growing up. I mean, he, again, he's literally flying as an infant in this. That's too much for me. Um, That's but, how he got adopted. 
Yeah, so exactly. So that piece of it is a little goofy. Nevertheless, that's really, if you had to sum these up, it's like Clark's powers get him into trouble, um, basically throughout his entire upbringing. And so, I mean, I won't list all of them, but I mean, you know, we have, you know, the the adoption and then Ma takes Clark to the supermarket and he's causing all this trouble. You know, he has a Cub Scouts camping trip. He has a birthday party. He gets his driver's license. He goes on his first date. He graduates high school. And then finally he goes to Metropolis. As a a side note, but it's related. The last one, right, where he goes to Metropolis, because you and I, obviously, we spent over three hours talking about the origins. We sure did. It's not my favorite, I guess, when, like, Ma just gives him a costume and she's like, here. And he's like, okay, thanks. Bye. Which <laughs> it's like she's handing him like a bag of lunch. She might as well be doing that. Like, here you go. Yeah. You know? Um, but it's like, so, so that's the gist of these vignettes. They're four minutes. Each one is a, as a snapshot. I literally, they begin and end with a photo. It's the family photo album. Yeah. So it's a snapshot of Clark's upbringing and you know, how his powers have gotten him into trouble. But I mean, I agree. So I, you know, we were on the same page here. It's like, I'm, I'm watching these and it took me a while, but I'm like, Episode after episode, like he's just using his powers and there don't really seem to be any repercussions or lessons. It's like the birthday party, for example, they play, you know, like pin the tail on the donkey, but like he uses his x-ray vision to see through the blindfold, right? Stuff like that. The, um, the drivers, the driver's test episode, like he uses his super senses and reflexes to ace the driving test sort of thing. And they're, they're until we get to the football episode where Pa finally is like, listen, you can't use your powers. It's like an adult playing with children. And then Clark becomes like the, yeah. uh, you know, the assistant Which is a coach. good line. Yeah. That's a good line, I think, for to give them credit. Yeah. Right. So I yeah, felt, yeah. But so, no, no, yeah, just, yeah. It, there's not enough. The, the consequence comes far too late though, right? Because like, what kind of, and you and I can speak to this as parents, you know, young, young parents of young children as we are. If we see our kids doing something inappropriate or something that we don't think is right, we don't wait like a few years to start correcting them. Like this is, this is much higher stakes when your child is a Kryptonian. So my yeah. goodness. Well, so, okay. So, but so like, here's where I have even larger problem. Cause I, I agree with you about that, but it's like, okay, it takes a little bit too long, but Pa is finally like, listen, you can't do this. Okay, fine. But then in the final vignette where Clark makes his debut as Superman, he again uses his powers to get the scoop over Lois and get the Why, job though? at the Daily Planet. And that's where it's- they lost me. Because I yeah, felt like, yes. okay, at least if we had a progression and an evolution and a conclusion here, but I felt like they undermined what I think the lesson was maybe supposed to be. I don't know. So that they lost me there. I had a real issue with that. Yeah, because, I mean, A, it shows that he learned nothing, and B, that he's using his powers immorally, which is, a, the, I think, the biggest conf- uh, conflict with a Superman character you can have, right? I mean, he's supposed to be not perfect, but ultimately learns from his mistakes and always tries to be that example of trying to do the right thing. Here, we do not see him try to do the right thing consistently. We see his father give him advice. And as you just said, the last time we see him, he's using his powers to get one up on Lois. Why is he even doing that? Because he thinks he's going to impress her? Because he thinks he wants to make a splash at the planet? All those answers are unethical to me. And don't ring true to my version of who Superman should be. Yeah, 
No, I'm I'm with you. So that I like that was tough. That was really kind of tough to fully get. And, and like I said, it took me because I'm watching like like you know family album after family album, and I'm like, well, like what what is the kind of the Which, point here? By the way, I don't know if you thought about this as well, but again, considering we've spent a lot of time in Superman's 80s now, what is the obsession with these family albums? Because if you recall, some of my favorite comic book covers now of all time are Superman staring shockingly at these photo albums. But it seems to be such a motif in this time period where you're seeing them like prominently featured in every episode of this show on the cover of comic books. And uh, I, mean, I guess that could be a thing where it's a sign of the time, right? Where they want to show him that like we're looking into his history and that's like a, an image of it. But I just thought it was a, an interesting note. And I wonder even if the comics informed that was part of like the initiative, even like there's a similarity kind of of him explaining his history, but using that imagery of the photo album. I just, as soon as I saw that photo album the first time I thought immediately like, well, I've seen this a few times before already. Yeah, I know that's true. We we do get a lot of the photo albums, and and I know specifically, you know, when we talked about the post crisis origins, you know, John Byrne did those World of Smallville, Krypton, and Metropolis miniseries, and the World mm -hmm. of Smallville one right? in, in particular, but maybe multiple of them, right? Had the you know had that photo album, I you know, uh, yeah. motif, where Clark could not believe it was possible that his parents could have had <laughs> re romantic relationships before they met each other. The biggest shock of his life, apparently. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Learning that he was an alien was like, like wow, whatever. But he's like, yeah. Ma, Ma, still, was, Ma was married. Still one of my favorite comic book covers of all time, and I have you to thank for that. So thank you. My, my pleasure. Uh, I mean, you know, I guess I have some other, like, you know, similar, you know, nitpicks or funny bits about other episodes. But what else from, from the series overall or individual episodes? Like, what else stood out to you or what else did you want to talk about? I found a fun Easter egg. That I'm curious to hear if you found as well too. So in the very first episode, the Defendroids, when all the newspapers get thrown with Perry White, one of those newspapers is the Daily Bugle, yeah. which people might know as Peter Parker and J. Jonah Jameson's uh, news outlet from the Spider-Man world and universe. I thought that was kind of a fun Easter egg. And boy, were they not afraid about lawsuits as much as they are now apparently because could you imagine something like that happening now today oh my goodness never it wouldn't happen i thought that was a a fun nod kind of though as well too to kind of be like hey here's a little nod to another famous kind of comic book news uh organization so i thought that was a kind of a nice little tip of the hat little easter egg that was in there as well um aside from from easter eggs and and little notes just I want to say the show gets better when it leans into the ridiculousness, but it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think it gets easier to laugh at, and that sounds terrible, but I think the fundamental problems are there in every episode that we've hit on already. You know, from a lot of times, with the exception of The Hunter, I think, a lot of times that the episodes just are laborious to get to where they're going. The portrayal of the characters either seem untrue or they don't get enough time to kind of give them room for growth. Even in what you could say is a children's cartoon show over a couple episodes, you need to have something to sink your teeth into. And I feel like that's just what was missing from a lot of this show. 
Yeah, I mean, I I can't disagree with that, and I think that kind of sums up my you know my overall feelings you know towards this as well. Um, you know, like I said at the top, I'm glad I watched it. I don't know really that I would be revisiting this. You know, when my son gets a little older, honestly, I'd be more likely. To be honest, I'd probably show him Fleischer first because those were 10 minutes and they were really action-packed and I would probably go. start with that. And then when he's a little bit older, like I would just go to Superman the Animated Series. So I, you know, like I don't know as far as the the place that this might occupy in my overall Superman fandom. It's I, I and I don't say this in a dismissive way, but I think a little bit more of a, of a footnote. It's like, yeah, like there was this I don't want to say weird, but I mean, just like this sh- very short-lived Superman cartoon that wove together various aspects of the then 50-year anniversary and, again, was the closest thing to Christopher Reeve in animated form, as as, as you might find. And there were a couple cool episodes, a lot of goofiness, a, a weird lack of recognizable <laughs> villains. But over, I'll say this though, overall, I do think that as far as the characterization of Superman, it's a very pure, like classic take. And yep. I don't really have any issues with the way the characters are portrayed. I guess it just would have been interesting to place them in more interesting dynamics and challenges. I agree completely. And I think if I had to sum it up that after they were looking for the creators of the show and the powers that be to create a comprehensive story over 50 years of Superman to tell a cohesive tale that would attract everybody and pay homage to many different things. What they instead created was an oddity, which I think is so interesting to me because I think in a lot of ways, and this isn't even necessarily all negative as we discuss, I think in a lot of ways they created the opposite of what they sought to create to begin with. Because if you look at all the stuff that we're talking about, there are so many things that just are not typical of Superman and these characters and these situations and these environments. So I think this is a very interesting tale of setting out to create one thing, but ending ending up with almost the complete opposite as a result. You know, I think in our, in our closing moments here, I, I think you... I think you came up with a take on this that is is a hundred percent spot on, and sadly, like like tragic. <laughs> I mean, again, it's you know we're talking yeah. about a cartoon. It's not the end of the world, but I think there is an element of of tragedy there where it's like if yeah. the intention. No, I think you're so you're so right, man. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's like yeah, if you were trying to create something that would encapsulate fifty years, I mean, in theory, right? Like you're trying to create something that would be timeless in its own way right because it's a little bit of everything and yet it's the most forgotten overlooked Mm -hmm. as we said before Mm -hmm. in the superman catalog so yeah i mean and you know why that ultimately is i guess you know you could have different interpretations but you know yeah maybe part of it is that it tried to be a little bit of everything and maybe that was not the right recipe very, very, yeah, well said, my friend. That's um, I'm, I'll be thinking about that. Well, I, I owe it to you because you, uh, you always spurn these thoughts in my head as we, uh, as we go along, <laughs> looking at kind of the big picture and not only the big picture of the show, but we examine its place and kind of the Superman mythos in canon. 
Well, and again, that's why I wanted to do it here in the midst of this mini-series. I mean, the rest of the episodes that we're, we're going to be doing here in this, this eight-part event, they really are comics-focused, but, you know, we are looking at this period overall, and again, with the exception of Superman 4, which was the end of a, of a movie series, and Superboy, which was its own thing, and we'll talk about, like, this was the adaptation the other media adaptation of the character at this time. So I, I thought it would be interesting. And and again, like you do, there are those elements of the Burn comics that you see at play here. So it, you know, it does kind of tie in. But again, this was not meant to, and I, and I wonder, you know, it would have been interesting, especially now having read all the Burn stuff and having read ahead to what we're going to be talking about in upcoming episodes, to have gotten an animated series that, that was firmly based on that period that wasn't trying to ca capture everything but really had been about what they were doing post-crisis would have been cool would have been really cool um, it would but it would have been. at the same time this is it's again it's 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 cool in its own way um i i, I suppose it's it's intriguing not necessarily for the source material but for what may or may not have gone behind the scenes to make it and like we said, where it fits in to the overall mythology and kind of timeline as we know it of Superman as a property. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say truly is regardless of whether it was only intended to be 13 episodes or it got canceled, that doesn't really even matter so much, but it, it is shockingly short lived when you look at everything else. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is the Krypton TV series on sci-fi a few years ago that, but even that, that got two 10 episode seasons. So, you know, you look at everything else, the various animated series and TV shows and movie, like almost everything has had a longer life. So for either intentional or not for this to only be a 13 episode cartoon series is very much an outlier in the Superman canon. I still have not watched Krypton. You're going to make me watch that show, aren't you? We'll add that to the list. I'll, I'll be covering that probably <laughs> next year. So we'll, you have some time, but uh, yeah, I, I do. There, wanna, there you go. I do want to get to that. Um, well, listen, I thank you very, very much for watching all those episodes. Uh, again, I know it was a little tedious at times, but thank you for watching and thank you for all the, the insight you shared. I really, really enjoyed this. Oh, me too, buddy. Me too. And thank you as always for having me. It's such a pleasure being here and talking to you. And I always learn so much when we get together and all the research and process. And I think in some ways, even though the the product was what it was, it really was such an interesting study on its place and the questions we asked, I think. It makes it worth an examination of itself. So it was a worthy, worthy look at this series. Cool, right on. Uh, well, there you have it, folks. That was the 1988 Ruby Spears Superman cartoon. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure that you come back in one week, one week for part four of our Crisis Till Death event. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Shegel, music by Basic Printer. Join the conversation by becoming part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group. Follow Digging for Kryptonite on Instagram and Twitter and visit flatsquirrelproductions.com to explore more of my film and podcast projects.